We're we're in Parshat uh, Akrimot, Vayikra, um, the sixteenth chapter, and uh, we're going to kind of do uh, somewhat of an overview because I want to focus on chapter eighteen, um, which is you know really important. Uh, uh, some verses there I think are really important. Uh, Akrimot opens up uh, in the first verse of chapter 16 it says the Lord spoke with Moshe after the death of Aaron's two sons which they brought the strange fire before the Lord and died and the Lord said to Moshe speak to your brother Aaron that he should not be entering at all times into the sanctuary behind the curtain in front of the cover of the ark, so that he does not die since I am revealed in the cloud in that area over the covering this is coming from Onkelos only in that way should Aaron be entering the sanctuary which with the bull of the herd for the guilt offering, the ram burnt offering. This beginning section of the chapter opens up, and it doesn't say specifically, but what it's about to tell or what it is telling us is that the death of Nadav and Abihu, which is Aaron's sons, shaped how the offering for the Day of Atonement was going to be done. Aaron is instructed specifically by saying, you shall not go back there anytime you want. Meaning, there was only one time a year that he was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. What was the the sin or the negative thing that Aaron's two sons did? It says they brought strange fire or incense offering. And it has been determined by the sages of blessed memory that it wasn't that they brought uh, something that was inappropriate. It wasn't brought at the right time, and it wasn't brought with the right circumstances. If you'll remember, when Aaron wears, or when Aaron goes into the, does his priestly duties, to go into the uh, Holy of Holies, he has to be wearing the full garments of the high priest. You remember this? The everything, the mitre, the whole nine yards. <clears throat> Aaron's two sons were in their service clothes. They were in lin- linen, uh, tunic, and breeches. That, and the fact that they were, they were going to bring this offering, which Aaron ended up bringing on Yom Kippur, but it was not done at the right time. So what do we le- learn and a few lessons ago, that what they did was um, was not necessarily bad, but it was not done at the right time and the right place by the right people. And so we learned a very valuable lesson about um, about having moderation in our in our pursuit to draw close to Hashem. And I'll say this just briefly, and I think it's really important for us to note this, that um, for for those who are the B'nai Noach and those who come out of their other religions to embrace Judaism, they are immediately struck with an over-eagerness to draw close to Hashem and sometimes want to do things that are not necessarily bad in the sense they want to do them, but are not placed at the right time. Are you guys following what I'm talking about, right? 
And it's very easy for someone to just assume that just because I want to draw close to God, then this is something that He would want me to do. And this text is a reminder to us all that just because you are motivated, even by the greatest of of desire, it might not be expedient to do those things. And we could go through a whole list of possibilities. If you want clarification, we'll bring it up in the, the last part or in the question and answer period. So one of the things that we learn right off the bat is that Aaron, whose job was to bring the, the offering, the bull offering, or the, uh, for, the, uh, for the burnt offering, the ram and the bull, that he had, what he did on that day was formed by what Aaron's two sons had done, and that failure to do the thing at the right time at the right place. And that's one of the things that we learn as we go through this, this uh, chapter 16, 17, and all the way through 18. We see this very meticulous detail. Are you not finding where I'm at? We're, we're in Akrimot. Exodus, the 16th, uh, Leviticus, I'm sorry, 16th chapter. You can see that frustration. You found it? Okay, you'll get there. So what we see in the next couple of chapters is extreme detail about the sash, the linen, the place of the mitre on his head, the sacred vestments, that he must bathe his uh, body, this is verse 4, in water, then put them on. And from the community of Israelites, he is to take two he-goats. This is where we learn about the, the, uh, the, the two goats that are brought before uh, uh, Aaron. And one goat is for the Lord and the other goat is for Azael. And that goat is to be led away. And there's a whole tradition on why that is to take place. If you want to ever study it and try to find out, there are probably about seven different core thoughts on what does it mean to have this goat that is designated for Azael. Um, and then the other goat is to, to be given to uh, the Lord. Um, the whole idea is that, that this goat was designated by a lot, which means that they, they just drew a lot. It was like a, a, a random lottery on which one would, would be. Both goats were identical. They both were perfect in every way. They could not be in any way distinguishable from each other. And then a lot would be drawn, and that goat would then up being taken out. Uh, in one case, during the... Um, during the time that the temple was stood, it says that they would be taken out and cast over a cliff into a into an area. There are a lot of different think, think thoughts behind what it means, but tonight we're not going to go into it. Verse 12, it says, And he shall take a panful of coals of fire from top of the altar of the Lord, and two hands full of ground aromatic spice, and he shall bring this behind the curtain. Well, wasn't this exactly what Nadab and Abihu did? So why was what they did wrong and not what he did was wrong? First of all, they weren't the high priest. They weren't the high priest. That's number one. They weren't married. They weren't wearing the right clothes. They weren't wearing the right clothes. Wrong time, wrong time of the year. They had everything wrong, but the motivation was was all right. I mean, they they did everything for the, all the right reasons, but not for 
not using the right steps and purpose, which is important for us to understand in our own personal uh, pursuit of, of godliness and, and holiness. Well, is that what makes it strange? Because That's what it makes strange. It wasn't something, uh, incense that they concocted on their own. Correct. Because they did it the wrong way, that made it strange. What made it strange is it wasn't, it wasn't proper. Does that make sense? Out of place. Out of place. Very good. So help me think of some things that would be strange in our normal day life. It could it could very well be, but what we do know is all of the other things above were the reasons why it couldn't work. So let's think about something that we could think in everyday sense would be just a little strange, just not right, just not proper, not right. Can you think of anything? It could be any example. Huh? Yes, you go to someone's house and they, you go over at Michael's house. Michael says, hey, welcome to my house. You spend the night. Here's your bed. You go, that's the kitchen table. But you can sleep on a kitchen table, can't you? You could, but it's kind of strange. Where's weather? Like, huh? Where's weather? I went outside. I knew I was counting. But then I thought, well, I'm going to go outside. And I said, where's the red sweater? And then I went into my shop. I came back. I still couldn't find the red sweater. Right, so there's a number of things that can be done that are not necessarily wrong, it's just strange. But this is why we have to approach the things we do in our relationship with God, that everything must be done properly and in order. Sandy? Well, I was thinking, uh, there's a commandment to rest. Right. But... Uh, I fully want to take a day and rest. Right. I can't just choose what day that's going to be. I can't Correct. say, well, I'm, I'm resting today and I'm remembering the creation and all that, but so, it's not on right. the seventh day. It's, it's, not, it's not. So here, here we have... Uh, we have a lot of people who are Christians, for example, who say Sunday is their Sabbath. I, I, have you not heard them say that? Mm-hmm. That's strange. Why is it strange? Because that's not the Sabbath. That's the first day of the week. And I understand that's what they do, but this is why we're talking about the, the, the constraint that righteous people and nations must show is you can't decide what day is your Sabbath. There's only one day that's a Sabbath, belongs to Jewish people. We are not uh, uh, prohibited from enjoying the day and studying Torah, etc., etc. But you don't decide Thursday's your Shabbos. It can be your study day. But it's not your Shabbos. That's a very, very good example. And so you, you take that, you can take it from here all the way up. For example, uh, a, a not righteous non-Jew who says to uh, a local rabbi, I eat kosher, 100% kosher. Uh, their kitchen's not kashered. Are they eating kosher? No. So it's strange. That's why that in orthodoxy, they would find it a little strange if you told them you were Shomer Shabbos, but yet you cook on Shabbos. That's strange. So this is what we're talking about. And for those people who are watching, I want you to understand the magnitude of why it's important for you to do things that are proper. That's why it's important to have proper rabbinical oversight in what you do and to make sure that you don't do something that is, that is misplaced. I'm not saying that God's going to strike you dead. 
Okay, that's not what we're talking about. However, things that are strange does not have its place in the order of the kingdom of heaven because God's kingdom is very, very orderly. And so you look at this. He goes through verse 14. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his fingers over the cover of the east side and the front cover. And he sprinkles even the uh, blood seven times with his finger. He shall uh, slaughter the people's guilt offering, the goat, and bring its blood behind the curtain. He too shall do uh, to, to do its blood as he did with the bull's blood and sprinkle it over the cover in front of the cover. And he shall atone in the Holy of Holies. I mean, it goes through this immense, incredible detail. Um, it says he does, he shall, verse 16, verse 7, chapter 17, chapter 16, verse 17, it says, he thus shall atone for himself, the people of his household, and the entire congregation of the Israelites. He shall go out to the altar that it was before the Lord. Now, why is he making atonement? When it says that he's making atonement for he and his household and the entire congregation of the Israelites, which would include everybody that's out there. When it says he's atoning, what does that mean? Does that mean that he's now their sins are being forgiven for what he's doing? No, that's not what it's talking about. Yes, sir. Absolutely, hundred percent. So atonement would be he's actually getting everything set up and prepared to bring the korban out, the offerings. Is he's putting everything in its place? And why uh, the details as to why these things were done? It's immaterial. God says this is what you need to do to atone, meaning. That before, before the people can bring their offerings, before the offerings can be uh, accommodated, and the Day of Atonement is to be completed, atonement has to be made for not only the altars, but for the priest, for his family, and the entire congregation of Israel. Did we make that clear, right? Everybody understood that. Um, so he goes on and he says, Aaron shall enter the tent of meeting, remove the linen vestments that he wore when, when he entered the sanctuary, this is verse 23, and leave them there. He shall bathe his body in water in a holy area and dress in his vestments. He shall exit and offer his burnt offering and the people's offer, burnt offering, atoning for himself and for the people. Once again, the atonement is not about forgiveness of sin because this was not a sin offering. This was not offerings to forgive intentional sin. This guilt offering, the fat shall be burnt on the altar. The one who brings the goat to Adza'al shall immerse his clothes, bathe his body in water, and then enter the camp. The guilt offering of the bull and the guilt offering of the goat, whose blood was brought for the tomb of the sanctuary, will be removed from the camp, and they shall burn with fire their hides, flesh, and dung. Verse 29 this is a perpetual law for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves. What day is he talking about? Yom Kippur, right? So what does it mean to afflict yourself? We'll do this at Yom Kippur this year. What does it mean to afflict yourself? Does it mean you, you take cat of nine tails and you beat your back? Fast. You fast. You put you, you you take and you put yourself in a place of grieving for the sins that you've done. This is the time that when we 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 complete our tshuva, this is how it works. When we sin un, or intentionally, 
The only remedy for intentional sin is to ask God for forgiveness, to pay reparations, to, to rectify the thing, and to afflict yourself. It is during this time at Yom Kippur that we all afflict ourselves for the purpose that God would give us a reset. Right? If you fail to afflict yourself, it is possible that you have not fully done tshuva. And if you've not fully done tshuva or repented, what happens? The sin, you're still carrying the sins of the past on you. Telling God you're sorry is not good enough to have that done. It must wrap up with this whole uh, time of afflicting yourself. It's a perpetual law, meaning that when the Messianic era takes place, this law will also be enacted and the people will have to afflict themselves. This will not go away. Because on this day you shall make atonement for you to cleanse you of all of your transgressions. You shall be purified before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of Sabbaths for you and you shall afflict yourself. It is an eternal law. The priest who was anointed and who offered sacrifices serving in place of his father, shall make atonement. He puts the linens and vestments and sacrifice, uh, sacred vestments, and he shall make atonement on, in the holy, on the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement on the tent of meeting and on the altar. So what is he doing? He's making sure that all of the furniture, all the building, everything is atoned and ready for a new year of service to Hashem. Verse uh, 17 continues on with detail about speak, uh, speak with Aaron and with his sons, with all the Israelites, and say to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. If any Israelite male shall slaughter an ox, sheep, or goat in the camp, or does so outside of the camp, he does not bring it to the tent of meeting entrance to offer the sacrifice before the Lord. So what this is saying, once again, it's all right to butcher an animal. It's all right to offer an animal. I mean, it's all right to to you know get an animal prepared, but it's out of place to do it outside of the camp and bring it into the tabernacle. Why? Because it had to be done properly to bring an offering. It needed to be done at the tent of meeting so that it could be observed by the priest. Make sense? Okay. Once again, order. Everything is about order. Um. We constantly see this term, he shall burn the fat so that it may be accepted with pleasure before the Lord. Uh, we've said this a lot, but just to remind ourselves, what does the fat represent in the animal? How do we get fat? Access, right? Nothing necessarily wrong, we just get fat because of our pleasures, right? By offering Hashem the fat of the animal... We are offering to him the pleasures of our own ex ex excess in our life. And by saying, Hashem, we give you all of our excess, the things that we have received pleasure over, we want to give to you. And therefore, Hashem accepts it in pleasure. Um, okay, I want to go to verse 18. Chapter 18, I'm sorry, verse 1. 
the Lord spoke with Moses, saying, Speak with the Israelites and tell them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not follow the practice of the nations of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, or follow the practice of the nations of the land of Canaan, in which I am bringing you, nor emulate their customs. You must observe my ordinance and keep my laws and perform them. I am the Lord your God. You must keep my laws and my ordinances. If a person observes them, he shall what? Live by them. During his life, life in this world, I am the Lord. How many have heard of the concept that it is all right to break um, a commandment to save a life of another person? We've heard that. There is uh, plenty of stories, even in the Holocaust, in which rabbis had to declare a certain halakhic thing to be ignored. For example, not eating uh, chametz during uh, during Pesach because starvation was so prevalent, you had to eat whatever you could, and so it was known that that rabbis would say it's appropriate to go ahead and eat chametz during that time. Correct. It's even even eating a non-kosher animal. And look, there there are those who refused to even eat that, and obviously suffered from it and died. Uh, but and and this is this is somewhat where this concept comes from, is that these laws you live by, not die by, right? This is where it comes from. But there's also another meaning behind that, because truly, what those of us from the nations have discovered is that when we truly begin to understand and study the Torah and the laws, some, some, we begin to receive some very positive results in our life. I mean, we begin to feel like we're truly living. Why? Because we, we had insight into the creator of the universe like we never had before. We had insight into the essence of God because we began to understand what the Torah was all about. And even though we recognize that not all of the 613 commandments apply to each one of us, it is absolutely imperative that we all study them and know them. Why? Because each one of the Torah laws that God gives him, gives his people, and actually the whole congregation, are the laws in which, in essence, it brings life. It truly brings life to an individual. I couldn't imagine what what my life would be without the ability to hear the words of Torah studied. I had someone call me today from North Carolina, and she was just elated at the at the uh, Torah Learning Channel. She was so excited. She just, I mean, this is like the greatest thing in the world. I'm so excited. You know, I, I want to find some way to support it. She goes, I could just turn it on and all day is like the best teachers all day long. She goes, this is a brilliant idea. And it made me feel so good because this is a woman who was raised, uh, raised her, her, her entire life Christian. Uh, she began to study Torah. She, her father was a, a Jew, but because it wasn't her mother, obviously she's not halakhically Jewish. And she began to study and study and and finally, her husband died at, at a young age of 62 years old, and she's a, a widow, and she stays at home, and she wants to study more, and she just had this rich treasure. And you can hear in her voice the excitement 
of being able to just spend the time studying Torah. And she says, though she wished her husband was alive to be here to experience this, she goes, she realizes she's starting a whole new life. And it's very, very exciting. This is what I'm talking about. Keeping the laws and, and his ordinances bring us light. So what motivates a non-Jew to want to practice <coughs> mitzvahs and to do things that they don't have to do it? Here's the answer for all of my Jewish friends who would ask. It's life-giving. It feeds the soul. I remember Psalm 119, I think, in 119, that David Amalek says that uh, his Torah brings life. His Torah is life. And that's what we've learned. And even people who do not even study Torah, there are universal Torah principles that are in a lot of religions, that those principles give those people life somewhat because they practice them. This is true across the world. And what is so beautiful about the Torah, it's like water that flows out out of a mountain. The closer you get to the source, the more pure it is. Now, the further down the stream, it may not be as pure, but water is water, right? I wouldn't want to pour brackish water into a cup and drink it, but I can tell you I could take brackish water and pour it on my fruit trees, and my fruit trees would prosper and do well. So the idea, if someone ever asked me, then what what is your life, and why is your life different now that you've come to Torah? I can say one thing, is that finding the source of water and life is the best thing in the world. Jason and and Cherry went to visit the place where it's called the Slab, right? And saw that beautiful water traveling down the river. I've been to West Texas out in Lakey. The headwaters of the Rio Frio comes down through that. You will never see more crystal clear water in your life. Now it's I really enjoyed just laying in the water and letting it rush over you. But you couldn't pay me enough to go lay in the San Jacinto and let it flow over me. Why? Well, it's water, right? The reason why that we do what we do and the reason why we come out of the nations is that only thing that we've ever been given was brackish water that was diluted with all types of pollutants that was polluted by what we call the nations like Egypt and Canaan. And when we came out of that and began to swim in the waters of life and Torah, it changed us. There's, I do believe that there's something about pure water that's got an energy in it, right? You can get in pure water and you feel better. It's just something about it. And so what we're saying is the Torah is so appealing And for those people like on the edge and not sure what they should do, I want you to understand it's time to get out of the brackish water of uh, of mixed religion and bastardized religion and bring yourself to the purest source, and that is the Torah. Hashem invites you to come. He wants you to come bathe in the waters of righteousness and goodness, and I can tell you it will bring life. That concludes this year, and we'll go on to questions and answers.